All right, we're in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. You can find it in the Blue Bible on page 568. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's sweet word. You can have a seat. Thank you, Genesee. Genesee Elder, that is. Well done. My name is Josh, Josh Watt. I'm the pastor here. Uh, not many watts in the world, but uh, yeah, this is an interesting Sunday because I kind of asked my pastor friends and church friends, and s- half the churches are taking the Sunday off, half are, well, not half, the math won't add up, but a portion are doing something online. I asked kind of key people of our church, hey, what should we do? And everyone I asked said, you do church. So uh, that's why we're doing church, because the people of this place said, do church. That's what you do. It's Sunday, you meet, so... Not to be legalistic or anything, but what are we going to do on this Sunday? I just want to reflect a little. I woke up early this morning, listened to uh, Tom Schrader, the founding pastor of Redemption Church. He has since passed away. And his last, he used to end the year with, how was this last year? And I woke up this morning and listened to the last one he did. How was 2015? And it's just him reflecting on how was 2015. And then the next uh, Sunday he gets up and he says, well, how do we have a great 2016? I'm not going to do that next week. You guys figure out how to do 2022. I just want to... <laughs> look back on 2021 together. So I journal a lot. I get a big, thick moleskin with square because I like math. I like boxes. But the beginning of this year was, well, we decided to plant a church. (laughs) And then I went down all this stuff. What will 2021 bring? And then I wrote the question that Jesus asked a lot of people. What do you want, Jesus would ask people, as a way to sort of say, like, what do you want? Like, I know what I want for you. What do you want? And my, I think part of discipleship, a key part is us lining up our wants and his wants until they become one. And what did I want? I wanted to get back into decent shape. We'll see, C minus on that. I wanted a great front yard, A plus plus on that. I wanted a good date rhythm with my wife, B minus on that. I wanted more sweet memories with the boys, B plus on that. I wanted to write more, D on that. I wanted a healthy, growing church, A, on that, and I wanted some good outdoor time. So that's what I told Jesus I wanted. So as I look back on this year, what has he taught me? So Tom, he mentioned in this, uh, the message I listened to this morning, Socrates is famous for saying, an unexamined uh, life is not worth living, meaning if you're not examining yourself, your life isn't worth living. The Apostle Paul would say it this way, examine yourselves to see that you're in the faith. So some of us, and I know certain personalities in this room, overanalyze in sort of a negative spin all the time. I don't want you to like tailspin because you overexamine yourself. And some of us don't examine enough. But there's something in the middle somewhere where we actually should stop from time to time and reflect as God's people and say, how was this last year? How was this last month? How was family time? How was that? And I just have eight things. I'll be quick. My message on Christmas was supposed to be 15 minutes. I think it ended up being about 18. This is hopefully going to be about 30 minutes or so. So here's what I reflect on as I look at the end of my journal. Another year, I just ordered my next one from Amazon, and I'll have more stuff to write. But what did I learn this year? Here's the first one. God provides, and often abundantly. Here's the passage that Genesee Elder just read. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
So we're going to plant a church. That was my thought on January 1st. January 10th was our launch date. January 9th was the highest number for COVID for the entire year. It's like, who planned to do this thing where you have to meet in person in a confined space where you sing and projectile all your germs all over the place on the day after the highest? I, I didn't, I'm not the greatest planner, but that's what we did. And God has done far more abundantly beyond ask I could think. And it's not just people, like numbers. Like that's very small on kind of how I prioritize stuff. But like the quality of people, which is a gift, but also like something to just keep note of that we need to steward. Like too much has been given, much is to be expected. Like God hasn't given us slouches. He hasn't given us like average, like ah, they're all right. Like just amazing people have joined our church early on, like in the first year, which is amazing. Financially, we're doing great. I mean, we're going to bring in... I think over $100,000 more than what we budgeted. We have money in the bank. We're tied to redemption, which is a bigger financial entity. So we're like, I'm just, I'm like the spoiled kid, like with the rich parents. And I got a poor kid coming over. Like I meet other pastors all the time and they ask me questions. And so much of my answer is like, I don't know. God has really just spoiled me in this church, redemption. And now Redemption North Mountain is a part of that. Why? Because he does far more abundantly. Not always. Notice I say often. Because that passage just says, he is able. He's not guaranteeing it. This isn't a name and a claim it like this always works this way. But for us, in the first year, we want to say, without any sort of apology, God really did great things for us. And some of you in this room, he's done great things for you. And I would just say, Ephesians 3, read it a lot. Now, here's a, I'm going to have a question for each of us just after all these. I, here's my question. What are you dreaming for this next year? Like, I'm not a huge dreamer. I kind of plan and organize, but like, what are you dreaming for? Ephesians says God is able to do far more abundantly beyond. Whether that's something in your family, something in your work, something financially, like all that matters to God. Are you dreaming big prayers? Like, this church is just a dream that now is a reality, and this church now is going to get to dream bigger dreams beyond just these walls and these people and these homes and bless this community and bless this area for a long time. What are you dreaming? And are your dreams bigger than your actual ability? Because that's when God really gets to, like, get the credit. If it's, like, perfectly in line with what you know you'll get and do and accomplish with your own skill set, you'll probably get it. But if it's, like, bigger, a little beyond, then God's going to get the credit. Here's the second thing, and this is tied. People are still God's greatest gift. So originally, I was supposed to plant this church with a guy named John Crawford. He preached here a few months ago, and then he dipped out because whatever. He wanted to stay in Tempe. Stuff was going on in Redemption Tempe. He wanted to stay pastoring there. But he, one of his last gifts to me was, oh, I listen to this podcast. You should really listen to it. I'm like, oh, whatever, dude. So I listened to it. And it's basically, if God is going to start a church or a new ministry or something new, he's always going to provide the people necessary for that to happen. And it was just John's way of saying, just know this isn't on you. I know you're going to be the main speaker and all this, but he's going to create a team. And he did exactly that. And I read in this church planning book that I love, this author, Ben Arment, says this, when God creates a church in the making, he doesn't just call one person to start it. He calls a whole network of people who have been growing pregnant with vision beyond themselves. And they may, all may not be able to articulate what they're saying, but they have all experienced the fruit of living in this, the life of the church. And that is Redemption North Mountain's story of chapter one so far. Like, I don't know what it is, but I want to be a part of this thing. It's not like 
the most magical thing in the world. It's very normal and mundane and normal people, but there's something here. And that's what God has done. He's provided just amazing people. I prayed initially for 100 people. I thought 25 people from Gateway, which we got, 25 from other redemptions, 25 we can steal and poach from other churches, and then 25 from the area. And we have, you know, 200-plus people now. So it's like God's like, think a little bigger, why? But like I said, with numbers, it's the people. Like, think about Chandler Cruz. He leads worship for us. I mean, he's average at a lot of things. He's not average. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. It's like, eh, I'd pick a million people before I picked him. But leading worship, <laughs> holy cow. Like, just get Chandler Cruz. Yeah. And it's not like I, that's the guy I want whenever I plant a church. Like, somehow... I was in his wife's life long before I met him, and then somehow they're like, you know what, I think I want to move to Phoenix and be a part of this. And I get told all the time, you are so annoying. No church plant has a, that talented of a worship team. Like, that's just stupid to have that much talent on the stage as you kick off a church. Brittany, Bryce, Chandler, it's like, I think of just all the quality people in here. I saw Emily Gilmore, like, if you haven't met Emily Gilmore, she doesn't probably want to talk to a lot of you. I don't know how much bandwidth she has. <laughs> But she's like this deep, theological, insightful person. She's this killer leader in her industry. She's got all these degrees. She's artistic. She's thoughtful. And she just kind of walks in here and just like prepares a dessert and coffee and then walks out. And you're like, you have no idea what a gift you have in the people of this church. <laughs> Allie Biederman's not here. But she's another, Aubrey loves it. Anthony Hernandez. Like the fact that we got, I could leave twice and we have a great preacher step up who's not getting paid. I think we gave him a gift card to Olive Garden. <laughs> like that's, like God has given us just great people. And it just reminds me, people are the gifts. And not just because what they do that kind of makes your life a little better, but who they are, the substance. Chris Smith, like where did this guy come from? And now he's everywhere. And he's texting all of you all the time to go, come watch the UFC fight. Hey, do this. Hey, he's the most social guy in the world. And he showed up out of nowhere because we met him at a Little League game. And now he's like the social butterfly of this entire church. And it just reminds me, like, how sweet is heaven going to be? Where we're not limited. I don't have somewhere to be. I can enjoy to the fullest this personality and this person that God has given the church. Like, that's all God doing. It's just his canvas. We get a kind of, it's like a museum we're walking through. One day we get to camp out in it and never leave and just be with these wonderful people that God's given us. Here's the next thing. Sincere encouragement is not the norm. So I was reading, again, it's on the internet, so you have to trust it, but not, it has a cool name, National Science Foundation, so if you put science in it, you have to have to believe it. But they said about 80% of thoughts are negative. So they say if you have 15,000 thoughts a day, 12,000 or so are in the negative variety. Which if you, like if you kind of, yeah, that sounds about right. Unless you're like overly optimistic, then you're probably skewing the data. But I just am reminded as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, like none of us have this full tank of encouragement we're walking through life with. And none of us want cheap, silly, veneer encouragement either which tells me the way our tanks are going to be filled up are with actual sincere encouragement from spirit-filled people with the spirit of the living God inside of us giving insight to then share with other people to fill them up. Like the passage there. Encourage one another daily. That's crazy. Every day, encourage them. 
to-do list every day. Drink my coffee, put on my pants, encourage someone every day so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And I just think, like a lot of people when they talk about, especially other redemption people that have joined that have been driving long ways and now they have a church kind of closer, it's like, well, I have a community now. And I think more than that, it's community with encouragement going on, like this mutual, like, I see you. And I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage, encourage, put courage back into you because it's a thing that's dripping out of all of us because we live in this hard, deceitful, sin-filled world. Like this is, Joel seems a guy that a lot of people have strong opinions about. I do too. I'm not going to share him. I th- what I've been trying to figure out is what's the draw for certain people. And I think I've come to this conclusion, especially with sort of the older folks. I was at my Christmas party last night. My mom brought him up. Oh, I just love Joel C. What do people like about And I think it's a man, like a strong male presence, giving encouragement. He's this dad figure, this husband figure, this uncle figure who's giving encouragement, which is like a rare thing. And I don't think my job as the pastor holder of the pulpit is mainly to encourage, but I think it's one of them. And I think it's our job as the people of God to, every day, to do, who can I encourage? And not make it up, but actually encourage people. So, uh, we'll just write this. What encouragement has God brought to your attention this year through this church? Like, just reminisce, like, wow, that verse happened in my life. And then how are you going to encourage people this year? Like, my wife will say this a lot. She'll see somebody, a girl usually, and like, oh, I just love her earrings. And I always tell her the same thing. Go tell her. No, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I love those shoes. Go tell her. Why not? Like whenever God puts something in you, as little as shoes, uh, as much as something is like, that man is an amazing, amazing husband. I just want him to know, like, I learned by watching him. Go tell him. Whatever way is most comfortable to you, but get in the habit of more and more encouragement. This one's a little more painful and dark, but here's the fourth one. Rejoice and weep and repeat. Repeat. I spelled that wrong. It's a new word. I want that to be. Repeat. <laughs> Ecclesiastes says this about life. Summary of life. You've heard this. If, if you've been to a funeral, this is often shared. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die. Time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. The people of God are called to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. And the older I get, the more I realize those are always kind of coexisting. And part of maturity is figuring out how to live in a world where you're rejoicing and weeping at the same time. And when other people around you are rejoicing and you're weeping, and how you navigate this world where that's just rejoice and weep and repeat. That's like just personal story. The two times in my life where it's like God was adding fuel to my sort of ministry, my vocational success, whatever that is, at the old church and in this church. Like, 
family stuff was really hard. First time was just with kids and miscarriages, and this time was just family we love, just sad stuff going on with very close family members. At the same time, we're planting this church where I can say, what a gift, it's been amazing. And at the same time, it's like there's some very real weeping going on. So I don't know what the big so what is, just other than this is the church's calling as the people of God. Rejoice and weep together. And we've had lots of people get married, we're rejoicing. We've had people divorce, we're weeping. And how do you navigate this life where it's like you have both happening all the time? My only answer is the Spirit of God to give you wisdom and insight as you navigate this. But we are the people that rejoice and weep. I wrote this question. Are you in a season more colored by weeping or laughing right now? And then here's the question. This is how you know if you're in a church family, like you're in it. Not just you're attending on a Sunday or you're like, that's the church I claim or whatever, but who knows about that laughing or that weeping? So if people don't know, it's like, and I get it, it takes time. I'm a big advocate of like, you don't just dive headfirst into these deep relationships. I don't want just Joe Schmo to know all my stuff. It takes time. But the church is where people know when you're laughing and know when you're weeping, and they do it alongside you, and they're praying for you because we're always rejoicing and we're always weeping. Here's the fifth thing. Decisions made are better than goals laid. That was my best attempt at poetry. What do I mean by that? We all have plans. I look, one of my, just to give you full honesty here, one of my goals for this next year was to run 50 miles per month. Holy smokes, Walt, what were you thinking on January 1st? <laughs> You're such an idiot. <laughs> Write a thousand pages per day. Moron. Read 150 books. Oh, jeez. I read like 70, which is still, you know, more, but I get paid to pray and read and think. And <laughs> point being, like, I had some awesome goals. If you knew me on January 1st, you would be mightily impressed. But if you know me on December 26th, it's like, eh, how, how much did you run? I don't know. I'll check RunKeeper, but it wasn't 50 miles per month, not even close. But if you make decisions that you're not going to rethink, in 2022, I am going to, not a goal you're going to get to, but I commit to, like, what are the decisions you've already made where there's no rethinking? Like, part of discipling the next generation, those coming up, the teenagers, the 20-somethings, is they have every option in the world. We do, too, but they've always grown up with that. There's no scarcity in their mind. And they have like an out of everything because it's like, I can say no to anything I can because everything I want is always there. It's like, that's not the way to get to the full life. It's to have everything at your disposal all the time. So what are some decisions you have made now that you're not going to rethink at all? I'll just say this one, church gathering. Like, it's weird to say on the, you know, lowest attendance Sunday of the church year, but I get it. But like, I just commit like, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to take my family to church. I'm going to take my fiance to church. I'm going to, you just make a commitment about saving money, giving money, a date night if you're married, phone calls to family. I've made the commitment to call my mom every Monday, and I've failed miserably, but I really want to be able to say, like, that's just what I do. I just call mom on my drive home on Monday. It's a decision you make before you get to the moment where you're like, ah, I'm not going to do that. 
Like, what decisions have you made for next year? As a pastor, as your pastor, if this is your church, here's what I encourage you. Read your Bible. You're like, didn't see that one coming. (laughs) Every day. Pray every day. And go to church every Sunday. When I'm discipling men, I try to think of three tools that they need. And these are the basic tools I start with. To do anything, to be a husband, to be an ex-husband, to be a father, to be a neighbor, to be whatever line of, what do you need in life? You need a thriving relationship with God. How do you get that? You commit. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. Well, how long? Whatever you'll do. And go to church every Sunday. And then as you sort of grow and like, I, I got to handle all this. I've, you know, I've read through this. Then you can sort of like replace those tools with more fancy tools. But if you're not a handy guy, someone's going to give you a hammer and a screwdriver and whatever else. And start with the basics. And then we can talk about the jigsaw and all these other crazy things you want to talk about. But just start with three basics. Read your Bible, pray, go to church. I promise you it will benefit you. Like, it just will. Because you're meeting with the creator of the universe every single day. Here's the questions. What decisions have you made that are going to shape your 2022? You can make goals like me and then be embarrassed when you go back and read them or just make just some decisions. And don't make a lot. Like, it's the most way overshoot. You say, oh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a book in 2022. <laughs> Great start. Here's the next thing. Eliminate, eliminate, eliminate. I read <laughs> Genesee. Are you shopping on Amazon right now? <laughs> right after this. <laughs> so I read that 5 billion pounds of returned Christmas gifts are thrown away every year. And I wish I had an image like, you know what 5 billion pounds is? Look at that. I don't know. It's a, it's a lot. It sounds like a lot. It is a lot. 5 billion pounds of returned stuff. Like, ah, that was the wrong size. They don't make it back into whatever supply chain they're supposed to be in, and they just get thrown away. Like, we have so much stuff. And I'm not just talking about consumer stuff. Just stuff. Voices, TV options. Like, if I have one more streaming option pop up, I'm going to be like, are you kidding me? Peacock, all right, we get it. NBC, you're cool. Like, just eliminate some stuff. This passage, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, they just went through, like, basically the Hall of Fame of the Old Testament. Okay, what's the big so what of looking at all these men and women who are these courageous people of faith? Let us lay aside every weight, which is not inherently sinful. Let us drop the weights, those things that are morally potentially neutral. And then he goes and also the sin which clings so closely so that we can run the race with endurance. Like, what are the weights we need to leave behind? Like, there's low-hanging fruit. We can talk about social media. You know, Chandler eliminates TikTok, re-adds it every seven days. We, you know, <laughs> we know the drill. But just stuff. Like, and I'm a, I'm a, I love stuff. I love yard sales, and it drives my wife nuts. Every time I... Like, in my neighborhood, is the best for yard sales. It's like, that was the greatest gift ever moving to Phoenix. Like, people yard sale here. East Valley people are too good for it. Phoenix people love yard sales. But, like, think of all the stuff and just what can you get rid of? 
again, these are just my questions, the way I've kind of gone about my year. But I think elimination is like one of the key ingredients to growth in Jesus in our current cultural moment. Because we live in this addition, 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 addition moment. And the people of God have to be the ones who eliminate. That's sort of what the monks were. Monasteries and all this were like, even back then, before Amazon, people were like, oh, we're getting out of control. That guy had juice and water and two loaves of bread. Abundance. I'm going to the cave. Like, how much more would people be like, really? You need that? Yeah, I do. Really? Like, what do you need to eliminate? Here's the seventh thing. I, didn't, I can't think of a great way to say it other than insight is greater than information. And the way I came to this is, there's this podcast, so here's a, one recommendation I'll make after I just told you to eliminate everything. <laughs> King and Culture is a podcast done by other redemption pastors out in the East Valley. It's so great. Very wise, very smart. But it's like kind of growing in popularity. And I love them both, but I asked one of them, like, why do you think it's growing? Like, what, what's the popularity behind it? Like, I love you guys, but... And he says, I think Seth offers insight in a world only offering information. I'm like, that's what it is. Everybody's offering information. Every podcast, every talk show, every radio show, everyone is offering information, 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 information. Very few people are stopping and saying, okay, I'm going to analyze the information and the people, and this moment, and I'm going to speak into this moment with some insight. Insight is greater than information. This is one of my favorite passages because it's just random, but it's always spoke to me. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. These men are described as those who had understanding of the times. Is that us as a church? Redemption North Mountain. I don't really know all about them, but it seems like they understand some stuff. Not they have a lot of information. Like just so some of you are in your Christian discipleship journey, and you've passed the point where, this might sound heretical, I don't mean to be, where the information base is there. Like you know the facts. That's not to say... Don't go to your Bible and keep diving into the story and getting engulfed in the story of God. That's just to say, like, maybe what you're missing in your discipleship is insight into how to live in this world as a single person in a world that is terrible on single people. As a married person, as a young person, as an older person, as an empty nest person, who's giving me insight? Like, who is giving you insight in this world? Just so you know, there's a few. On Twitter, my top guy that I go to for insight is a guy named Anthony Bradley. And that's not an endorsement. He's a Christian guy, professor. But of Twitter is just a, Anthony knows this, Twitter is terrible. As far as how people talk and the rhetoric, it's like there's a fight every morning that starts at like 9 a.m. Eastern time, and it just blows up all over Twitter all day long. And people are like, ah. I'm like, who are the people that are just stopping and like, Here's a way to think about stuff. Anthony Bradley is that guy for me. I think people in this room, like Marsha Silliman, the few times I've had conversations, I'm like, that woman has insight. And she's married to Steve. She has extra insight into all the inner workings. <laughs> Just kidding, Steve. Dan Blackwell, he's not here today. But he has crazy insight 
into the world as well. It's like, how did you see that? Like, who are the people that are giving you insight? Do you have, like, online? Or is it just information, 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 information? We don't need more information. We've got a lot of it. Who is going to bring you insight in 2022? Here's the last one. And I stole this from Tom Schrader. But what is sweet about this place already? Tom Schrader Hairline, change lives, change lives. Like, as I think about, okay, 2021, how do I capture the ingredients that made this year great? Like, what do I want out of this year? I want change lives. I want more change lives, changing lives, change old lives. Man, that was brutal. <laughs> 2022, let's end this. <laughs> but here was this point, and he had a mega church, one of the first mega churches out in the East Valley. And he would say, here's the secret sauce to Christianity. Change lives, change lives. And as I think about this church, it's not the size of any meeting, but it's like there's all these people that have been changed by Jesus Christ. And they're now trying to be in the lives of other people, not to get earn more heavenly points, not to cross off any to-do list because their life's been changed and they want to change. The amount of people I've run into in meetings at coffee shops or restaurants that are just meeting from this church already, like, oh, I just want to meet with her. I hear she wants to go into this line of work. I want to help her with it. Oh, I want to meet with this guy. He's going through a hard time. You know, the divorce is almost final. Like, that's happening all the time. Why? Because change lives change lives, period. Like, we want people to experience the forgiveness of Jesus. But that is the first chapter in the life of following Jesus for eternity. I received, Jesus, your forgiveness. And now what do we do? Our lives begin to be changed and transformed. My counselor will say this all the time. He says, here's what we offer people in our homes and our workplaces in the world. Here's all we have to offer is our transformed and transforming presence. Meaning, we've been changed and we're being changed, and we bring that as the gift into this world. That's what we have to give this world. That's it. It's not like the answer in 2022 is a political answer or a financial answer or a fill in the blank. It's a bunch of people that have been changed by Jesus Christ. He's come down and met you personally, and your life's being changed, and now you get to go change other lives. How has God changed your life this past year? I would encourage you to spend some time reflecting on that. And then ask him to bring you people to be around as your life is being changed and you help their lives be changed as well. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for reflection time. Thank you for just the fact that you encourage us to stop and think. You say, love the Lord God with all your heart, all of our feelings, but also with all of our mind, all of our thoughts, and all of our soul all of our being. So God, I just pray for us as a church as we end this year that each of the homes represented here would stop and reflect and there would be a deep sense of gratitude for what you've done. God, there would be a deep sense of appreciation for the fact that you are a living God, that we don't serve a cold, dead religion. We serve an active, living Savior and Lord, which means every year we choose to do this, every month we choose to stop and reflect, there's going to be stuff where we can spot 
where your hand's been at work because you are always working. So God, thank you that you love us so much, that you've loved this church so well, you've taken such good care of us. And God, be with us for another year together. Pray we do experience your grace even more than we did this last year. Jesus, let me pray. Amen.